Hello friends, how's it going? It's Matt and you're listening to episode 57 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. It's my show where I interview the great and good of the action sports world in an effort to try and uncover the best stories out there. So big thanks to listening to or downloading this one. I hope you enjoy it. If it's your first visit to my little corner of the internet and you do like like the episode, you might want to check out some of the other interviews I've done over the last 18 months the show's been going. Tom Carroll, Travis Rice, Alex Honnold, Lane Beachley, Mick Fanning, Hayden Cox is a big long list now. If you head over to my site www.wearelookingsideways.com, you'll find the entire back catalogue and you can subscribe on iTunes to make sure you don't miss any of the regular bonus episodes I also release from time to time. Anyway, Rob Machado. Now obviously I'm aware of how famous and well-loved Rob is. But the outpouring of genuine delight from friends and listeners when I mentioned I'd be speaking to the great man genuinely took me by surprise, to be honest. People are invested in Rob Machado. So it's always great when the legends live up to the hype, and that was definitely the case here. Now, Rob was in town to promote The Momentum Generation, the new documentary that catches up with the iconic Momentum crew. 25 years after they first came onto the wider surf scene, via Taylor Steele's classic film of the same name. So I watched this one before I met Rob. And yeah, it's a compelling watch. And the film doesn't shy away from tackling some of the great surf talking points of our time. Rob and Kelly's infamous high five, the injury wildcard vote that ended Rob's career, competitive career, I should say. Todd Chesser, it's all here really. Now I must admit, within the first half an hour, I did think this was going to be quite a vanilla telling of the story of the gold, of the uh, golden momentum generation. But it soon becomes clear that there's a much deeper story at play, one which deals with universal themes that anybody can recognise. Among these are competitiveness, loss, grief, but above all, the arc of friendship, which is what me and Rob really ended up discussing. The question is, how can a group of friends navigate the challenges of life and come out the other end with those same relationships intact. Throwing the incredible competitiveness of the people in question, and you have a combustible cocktail that duly did explode. And the filmmakers don't shy away from turning a light on some of this, uh, some of these clearly long-lasting tensions. Now, everybody with a group of friends from their youth will recognise these themes because let's be honest, envy and jealousy are as much a part of friendship as all the cheesy Instagram quotes in the world and the filmmakers really don't turn away from tackling this stuff head on I keep using the word unflinching to Rob and uh, it is really which is makes a real change in our little fluffy world to see people actually having a crack at this but there's ultimately an unlifting moral an uplifting moral to this one as the film and process clearly cathartically gave everybody the chance to lay some of those demons to rest happily Rob was also happy to talk in depth about these legendary stories and he seemed to appreciate my line of questioning which is pretty much what I've just said and the result is an intimate honest and completely compelling chat with one of the greatest surfers of the lot. So big thanks to Rob for coming on my humble little show and for getting into the spirit of the podcast so enthusiastically and just to show what an absolute gent he is a couple of days later I got an Instagram message thanking me for having him on and saying he also really enjoyed our exchange. What a man eh? So here it is, my chat with Rob Machado on The Arc of Friendship. Enjoy.
How you doing? Good. How yeah, are you doing? I'm good, man. Nice to meet you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to do this. It's good to be here, man. It's yeah? good to be back in England. It's been too long. I had no idea about your, your family roots then. So you, you sound like you're practically a London local, South, <laughs> South London local. South London, Surbiton, yeah. My, uh, my grandfather was a, a tennis professional. Um, wow, okay. The, the Sur- Surbiton Lawn and Tennis Club. Wow. Um, so... I used to go there and bang tennis balls around as a little as a little dude. Right. Um, my uncle was on the English squash national team, um, so he traveled around playing squash. And so, yeah, I've been coming here since I was just you know a little guy with my mom. My mom still answers the phone at, at home and says, hello, darling. Yeah, yeah. Puts you know? the accent on. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Everyone trips out. They're like, your mom has such a cool accent. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, she has an accent? Right. You know? Yeah. I'm just so used to it. Yeah. So you're going to check in with the family on this little trip? Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see them. They're going to come uh, come see the film tonight. Yeah. So. Uh, great. So that'll be a nice, nice moment then. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah, so the film, yeah. So, like I was saying, I I watched it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, what what are your thoughts uh, now that you've had time to obviously digest and no doubt see it quite a few times? What? Yeah, um, I was really blown away the first time I kind of like got to wrap my head around it. Yeah, you know, and it, um, you know, the interview process was really intense. Yeah, it looked it to be honest. Yeah, it looked like um, there was a lot of. Well, like we were saying, rawness and, and honesty. You well, know, you went there, basically. Yeah, the Zimbalist brothers, they did a, a lot of research. Um, and being guys that, you know, aren't surfers, um, I take my hat off to them that they really dug deep and, and they went into some old interviews and dug up a lot of clips and 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 stuff that probably we'd forgotten about. Really? And, and you know, my inter- my first interview was a solid eight hours. Wow, Okay. And uh, I think for each guy, it was it was that long. I mean, everybody it was really intense and long, and, and they and they asked questions that were probably a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but they led up to it in, in good ways, you know, like really built that comfort. Um, but I I bet if you ask any one of us, there wasn't one of us that would have said that you did, you went to sleep that night after the interview and and didn't feel like maybe you said something. Right, that, that might be uh, inflammatory, almost. Yeah, yeah. You're you have this like almost like remorse. Well, it came across like like we were just saying. For me, watching it, it is about the arc of friendship, really, and the way that you you guys obviously had this incredible period in your lives, this relationship, but then as you grow older, how that changes and how you cope with that. And then you throw in the competitiveness. That's obviously a huge theme, which everybody in the film admits to you throw in, you know, the, the, the life events that are happening. And, and it, it's almost a bit like, well, how do you, how do you maintain that friendship? How do you cope with it? And how do you, how do you kind of get through it all? I mean, is that kind of fair to say? That's very fair to say. Um, life is full of challenges. Right. And, and like you said, you know, coming out of our teen years when we all really became, I think, uh, a really tight group of friends. Yeah, which it conveys really well. I mean, that's one of the really, you know, nice parts of the beginning of the film, isn't it? And I, and I really, I look at Benji's house as being that kind of catalyst to bringing us all together. I mean, there was those few years there where we went to Hawaii and 
it, you know, we didn't all stay at Benji's house, but that was the first thing you did every single morning. You woke up, you drove straight to Benji's house, regardless of what the ways were. Right. Even if it was, you know, 30 feet and you were going to go surf somewhere else, you still went to Benji's house. Yeah. That was where everyone congregated. And then it was like that plans were kind of made from there. Yeah. It was like, oh, it's onshore and whatever. We're going to go see a movie. It was like, that's, and so Benji's house was just this zone and, and, you know, I, I can't remember how many years, it must've been four or five years. It felt like where that was it. And, and that really kind of gelled us all together. And, uh, you know, we went through a lot of craziness, you know, being on the North shore in the nineties, we didn't have, we weren't traveling with girlfriends. There wasn't any girls on the North shore. It was just a bunch of dudes. Like, it's like, what kind of trouble can you get into? Right. Yeah. It's just like, if if there's waves, there's no waves. I mean, that's we were doing something all yeah. the time as a, as a group, so it was cool. And then um, you know you, you evolve into then you start bringing the competitiveness into it, yeah, and that gets intense. And learning how to how to juggle, you know, that competitive spirit, and how do you how do you dive into a heat into a jersey and go out with one of your best friends yeah and like basically treat them like any other dude and and, and want to rip their head off or do whatever it takes to win right it's like to get into that competitiveness and then come back to the beach and be friends again and go hang out at benji's house yeah or yeah. you know go go grab some dinner together yeah a lot of times sometimes you're staying together yeah yeah and it, and it really came across that 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 wasn't easy for you guys you know and, and as as you as as you all became more successful it became more of a of something that you needed to to learn how to to process and cope with really yeah it wasn't easy i think uh and a lot of us didn't really know what we were doing you know yeah, well you're young aren't you i mean you, yeah. you, you've got to work it out like this is how yeah. you, you learn these things isn't it you you're know? in your 20s you're just going yeah. for it you're like you know, we had two goals in life. It was to do well on the tour and to make a good section in Taylor Steele movies. Yeah. Um, that was it. That was um, all you had to focus on. So, I mean, you know, the mental health side of it, like you didn't, even if you were feeling down or confused or lonely or sad, you you really didn't turn to that, that group of friends because then you you almost like opened up a, like a side of weakness. Really? Yeah. Right. You kind of had to keep that like bravado that and like, no, I'm good. I'm good. And and maybe we weren't, we might've been actually too young to really kind of comprehend. Yeah. We just kind of like brushed it all aside and just said, oh, it's good. We'll just move on to the, you know, yeah. on to the next. Yeah. So do you, do you think this, this process of making this documentary has kind of laid a few of these demons to rest for you guys do you think there's been a few you know um loose ends tied up yeah rela relationship wise because it's I, so honest yeah you know like and, and you're all pulling you know we'll get to the high fives and all this stuff but you know there's the the, the stories that we all know they're, they're dealt with really pitilessly you know and there's there's a lot of like real like well he acted this way and yeah. i think that that means this <laughs> and then it cuts to like you hearing that or whatever or kelly hearing that and it's you know it, it is it is pretty raw you know so i'm guessing that that might have been the first time a lot of these issues were really faced like this openly <laughs> you're exactly right and i think uh the zimbalist brothers did a really good job kind of uh bringing these issues back up and like uh putting in in front of us yeah and and clever isn't it i, I bet 
a lot of us, yeah, we kind of put all these things behind us. You kind of just brush them aside and don't think about it. And, no. And then now that they kind of rekindled it, you kind of like, you think about it and yeah. you think, oh, wow, what was it? Where was my mind at when that was happening? Or what what do you, what was he thinking when that happened? And, yeah. And you kind of think it through. And it, yeah, it's really, I helped, I think it it's helped clear a lot of these you know, these incidents or episodes that we've gone through in our lives. Sure. It helped just kind of flush them out and like, hey, you know what? Like, that's all. We, we're we all still here. Yeah. We're all still surfing. And we're still friends. And we're all still friends. And we, and we kind of worked out in the end. That's pretty miraculous. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm interested in the way they approached it because you said that they had the archive and the footage. So it was the process that they looked at that and then you know, obviously they're going to know the big stories, but did they kind of draw out these themes and then do the interviews and piece it together in this quite almost like storyline calculated way, if you like? Was that was that the way it was done? Gosh, I mean, they were given so so much footage. Yeah. I mean, we that all... That is clear. I mean, it's like a daunting <laughs> amount of work, no doubt. Well, I know Taylor Steele, for a fact, handed them just boxes and boxes full of old, you know, little high eight tapes and none of it was labeled. Yeah. Taylor was horrible at being organized sure right and so it was just yeah. like here you go yeah and then each guy i know they came and raided my house yeah yeah i mean got everything everything i had from the yeah. 90s just like give it to every i mean i can't imagine I, I think they've actually said that that was one of the biggest archival yeah mountains that they've ever had to go through for any film sure um so they had a lot to deal with there i think they did a lot of their research you know as in old magazine interviews and going yeah. back and really diving into these stories and stuff that was said because I remember them reading to me quotes that I said in interviews right from the 90s and I'd be like whoa I, I said that yeah well that's another, that's another brilliant part of the film when there's like a couple of anecdotes that people are like I didn't do that there's yeah. no way I did that right yeah and then they're like no he, he, he did it he yeah. did that yeah. you know like is it and that the other, the other theme that I kind of thought about watching it is like it, a lot of it is about memory as well and like you know how memories can be unreliable sometimes especially in a group you know you can remember things differently and that in itself can create tension can't it you know which is another thing that kind of comes out in this yeah and, and it's how you portray it yeah right it's like one guy portrays it one way that's yeah. right there's always three sides of the story and that's a process thing as well isn't it because yeah. like you say you've got your own battles and you try to work these things out and you will often like kind of rationalize things in a certain way won't you that definitely th that you go like okay well that's what happened and then when yeah. somebody does come along and go well no that's not what happened actually right it can it can be quite it can shake you a bit can't it yeah and you and you learn that as you go on in life and through relationships and um you know having differences with people like i just said there's always three sides to every story there's your side their side and then there's the truth yeah right yeah yeah which is in the middle somewhere it's in the middle right yeah. and, and that's like you know sitting in front of a judge like imagine the the three sides that they hear or the two sides they sure. hear right it's like it's yeah, yeah. probably and it's that's like you said how people rationalize what they've done or what has happened yeah um so it's it's coming to terms with what actually happened really yeah. and just kind of saying like well even if i thought it was this way now that i see his side of the story and it's so far past yeah that i'm cool with it like maybe if, even if i felt like i didn't do some, do that like yeah. what he's saying like i felt like it was more on my side but that's cool yeah it's okay it, it's fine yeah. yeah the other big thing that that i was really interested in is is the theme of competitiveness and obviously the way that you guys kind of 
describe it is almost in terms of Kelly's competitiveness. That's the way it's kind of edited together mm. anyway. And there's this part in the film where almost everyone in the group is kind of saying, well, I was on the tour and I kind of realised that I didn't quite have the level of competitiveness that was required to become a world champion. And also the standard had been set here by Kelly. And that realisation was, was obviously difficult. It was obviously difficult for everybody involved. And... You know, that's again like really, really honest and, and and a very difficult thing to admit, I imagine, for people who have operated at this really high level. Was it that difficult at the time to kind of have that realization that, that perhaps there was a there was a, a way you had to behave that perhaps you weren't willing to, to do? Yeah, you know, we grew up with Kelly Slater. Let's let's just Put it put put the facts right out. Put there. it that way. The greatest surfer, competitive surfer of all time, and from a very early age, from when we were twelve years old, he won everything. Yeah, and so and he set the level. He always con- he continued to set the level higher and higher and higher and higher. Yeah, which you know you can look at the positives and the negatives. Like we always felt like we were in his shadow, but then again we were kind of riding his co- coattails and we were trying to keep up with him. He was pushing us to be better and pushing us and we were pushing him. You know, we, we might, he might feel like we we're getting a little bit closer to him and nibbling, <laughs> nibbling at his heels. And yeah. then he would do something that would just take him up a whole nother level. And I, I look at it as, I mean, we're, we're pretty blessed to have someone like that and to, to, It'd be like, you know, growing up playing basketball with Michael Jordan, right? Yeah. I mean, you're 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 on the court with the the best basketball player of all time or Magic Johnson or something, right? And you're just you're surrounded by his greatness and you get to watch him like raise continuously raise his level and and push himself to new places and 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 drag us with him, which was I mean, maybe we wouldn't have been I I would honestly say we definitely wouldn't have been who we are if we didn't have him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sure. Was that you can say that now though? Right. Like what, at the time we're kind of like, like at the time. Gosh, man, he won again. You know, <laughs> like he just wins everything. You're kind of yeah. It was every time you got a victory. If you you know if you beat him one out of ten times, you celebrated. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big win. Yeah. So to have the to have those moments where you ca- actually came out on top over Kelly or had a little a moral victory. Sure. Yeah, even if you beat him at like a little game of horse basketball or something, you know, in the right. front yard. Sure. Which he was competitive at everything. I imagine you I were used all to kick his ass at ping pong and he hated compa- it. I bet you were all pretty competitive at everything. Oh, he hated losing at ping pong. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously the the pipeline final is a key moment in the film, like a very very well-told story. Over in the in surfing culture, you know, in the last twenty years, yeah. but it is set up as like this this kind of pivotal moment in the story of of you guys, and you know, again, the hard questions are, are not flinched from. You know, there's there's effectively, I think it's like Potts and and Sonny are kind of saying, well, he did it on purpose, yeah, you know, and then there's a kind of couple of like fairly stinging criticisms of you for not being competitive enough, almost, right. you know, and like. So how how do you look at that incident now? Because obviously it is so well known and and it is dealt with this directly. You know, has has this process helped you digest that incident in a different way? 
Oh, most definitely. Um, it's it's crazy to reopen that that whole incident, you know, yeah. and look at it, and se- especially being older and being able to step back and kind of analyze the situation. I had no idea, you know, going into that heat, like how crazy of a moment that we were having. How pivotal, how pivotal. a life moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was going out to basically win a world title if yeah. I won that heat. Sure. It was pretty intense. And I was just in the moment. I was doing my thing. Um, and to be honest, I look back at it. For me, it was a success. Right. Right. Okay. Like even before that heat happened. Yeah. Okay. Because going into the event, I was... I was not even on the radar. You know, Sonny was going to win the world title. He had yeah. to make it through two heats. And, you know, up until that point, I'd never really caught a good wave at pipe. Right. Okay. Like the year before, like I went out and cartwheeled on a couple 10-footers. And um, I'd never, out there free surfing, I'd never really caught any good waves. Like, Right. I, I was... So personally, I was a small wave surfer. Yeah, so personally, it was already like a big progression and a big moment. A huge progression. Yeah. So for me... No one thought I was going to get past the second or third round. Right. Because I'd never really done well in Hawaii. Or I'd never done anything in, in waves or in any consequence. Sure. So to go out and, and the waves were pumping that whole event. Yeah, yeah. There was, there well, was you surf. Re- you remember that when you see the footage. Yeah, yeah there was surf perfect. the whole event. There was a couple of days that were like some second reef days and there was washing through. and um, But it was really good west swell and, you know, to to make it through that many heats and to get to where I was, was already for me. I remember my dad telling me that like, dude, no matter what happens, yeah, like you've you, succeeded, you've succeeded. Yeah. You, you, you made it this far and you've proved to a lot of people yeah. that you can do this. Right. So and for you, that was, that was the story. Yeah. Right. Again, that's so fascinating, isn't it? Cause that's like so odds with the public telling of that story, right. which was set up as this full on like mano a mano, right. like, you know, Rob V. Kelly, like who who wins, takes the world title kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in Kelly's defense, uh, you know, I hear Potts and I hear Sonny and, you know, Sonny's telling me I should have run him over. And, yeah. And uh, it's pretty harsh, some of it. Yeah. It's, it's pretty like, full on. And, yeah. you know, I, me and Kelly, I remember at one point we he sat. Looks like, he looks like really pissed off with that interpretation as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and because I remember, I remember being in the water and sitting out there and I, I actually, there was a, a a lull in the action, and I said, we had a conversation. I remember, and I said, dude, this is this is crazy. And we looked into the beach, and you know, I mean, there was a probably a couple thousand people on the beach, and I said, we're out of pipe, and it's like eight to ten feet, and we're, it's just us out here. How cool is that? And I don't know if I kind of caught him off guard a little bit, because I was in this like blissful place of. I am surfing pipeline and I've, I've made it this far and yeah. I'm just stoked to be here. And he was, he was probably a little more hyper-focused on the comp- competitive side. But sure. I, I think when I said that to him, he looked in and it wasn't long after that, that exchange happened, that waves, you know, the high five wave. And so yeah. I honestly think his mindset it shifted a little bit and, you know, he was focused on winning world title. He, he was very focused his entire career or else he wouldn't have won 11 world titles. Of course. Um, but I think for a moment there he was, and and you know what, at that point in the heat, he had based, he had already won the heat. Yeah. And it was, it was such a non issue at that moment. There was no, 
distracting me to get priority to get the last wave to win the heat. The heat had already been determined. I think he had two 10-point wet rides, and I had a 10, and I needed like a crazy high score, like right. a 9.8 or something. So, okay. I mean... So, do you, do you kind of feel that this narrative's almost been retrofitted to, to kind of like make a better story? Kind of sounds like... What yeah, I mean... It sounds like it's different from how you remember it, basically. Yeah, I... I would love to see, like, I wish they could go back and see the entire heat from start to finish and see when the high five actually took place. Yeah. And and what scores had been posted up to that point and, like, where the heat was at. Yeah. Really to kind of analyze the whole situation because it's funny, like we said before, there's everyone's got their own story. Yeah. Like, I've heard Sean Thompson tell the story, like, yeah. And Kelly distracts Rob and <laughs> Kelly gets priority, yeah. paddles out and gets the winning wave. And I'm like, that's so not true. That's not what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Sean. Right. No, but it is, it is, it's so well done in the film because it really, it, it basically deals with it in this way in like, mm. here's an incident. Here's all these different viewpoints. Here's the two protagonists. Here's what they think. Here's yeah. what everybody else thinks. And it's still not clear. Yeah. And, and that's why I'm, and, and then there's, like I say, there's the, there's the me, the wider media kind of story, isn't there? You know, you do a search like Rob Kelly high five. It's like, it's that story that you just said, you right. know? So yeah, it's, uh, but it is unflinching. And I, I did think it was, it was, it was, it was good that they kind of asked you the, you know, made you deal with it in that way, basically. I thought it was great. I thought those guys were, uh, did a really good job just bringing us, bringing the tough questions right to us and, yeah. and sticking them to us. And I mean, I, in my interview, I, I laughed, I cried. I, I went through a lot of different emotions and it was all because of, the the work that they did yeah to really dig deep yeah well the other sort of emotional heart of the film is todd chester really mm -hmm. you know this is the, the 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 third sort of key part of it really and um he's really set up as the moral compass of the film isn't he really you yeah know, for you guys as as almost like he was you you all had so much respect for him and it sounds like he he did carry this moral weight almost for the group is that is that kind of fair to say oh yeah so fair to say um there was just something about todd and just the way he was and um you know and, and it goes back to benji's house again right like right. every day like you came to benji's house and you walked into the yard and and todd was there and whoever was there chris malloy and you know a bunch of the boys and and if, if the waves were big um those guys were going to go surf somewhere yeah and you were you were either getting dragged along for the ride or or you were trying to dive into the bushes and hide because <laughs> yeah. there were some scary moments. I put sure. myself in so many scary situations that, you know, looking back, I'm glad I did, but um, I wouldn't have ever put myself in those situations if I was by myself Yeah. or with just probably normal people. <laughs> yeah. So why do you think you did? You know, well, you kind of didn't have a choice. Yeah. You know, if Todd looks at you and goes, hey, grab your biggest board. We're going to surf you Himal going. Himalayas. Like, yeah, you're, you're going. You can't say no. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's no excuse. Sure. And uh, so, and and the other side of Todd too is, you know, we'd, we'd come up to the house some days and, and we'd look out off the wall and it'd be like maxed out, washing through and and Todd would be out there by himself waiting for that one little gem to kind of sneak underneath the big ones and and there'd be no cameras on the beach. He just had this like free surfer side of him. Right. That um 
you know, we were all so competitive yeah. and he wasn't that competitive. Like right. he didn't compete in that many events and, and he just, he would rather go out and find that little spot and that little zone by himself and have these moments. Sure. And I think that was something, a side of surfing that maybe we didn't really, uh, we weren't as attached to. We were so focused, hyper-focused on filming and, and competing that I think Todd, kind of made us realize like let's drive down you know to this this spot where there's gonna be no one and no cameras are gonna be there and let's just go surfing right wow okay so he did have that real kind of show you a different path basically which yeah which is is a is a real something that comes through so when you then uh, when your competitive career effectively came to an end with the, the other thing that's dealt with which is like the kind of injury wild card mm. vote which is another thing that's very unflinching you know it's like you you don't play any punches about how disappointed you were about that you know taylor almost i think he uses the words he's like well he's a broken man after that basically yeah. you know and then obviously the narrative is that you move your career in a different direction with taylor to become the sort of free surfing role that we know now was was Todd an influence on that was that was that something where that came from where you saw that as a possibility for sure looking back and and I think that's what this film helped helped us do is yeah. to really look back and analyze sure you know at the time when when that injury wildcard thing went down like I was I was I was pissed yeah. I was upset I was I was hurt I felt like I'd been kind of betrayed by like my fellow surfers and you did uh, and I was I was really bummed. I wasn't, I wasn't going to, I didn't want to try to get back on tour. Right. I had no interest to try and get back and be out on the road with all these guys. I Why was, do you think you took it so personally? It might, it might sound like a stupid question, but I'm, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm interested. Was it, was it a betrayal? Well, let's be, it, the way it was done back then, it was very personal. Yeah. Very primal. Okay. It's, so it's like, in what sport do you do you bring all the the athletes that you you compete against into a room and let them vote on, who's on who the who, worthiest? Yeah, yeah. On who deserves to get the injury wild card? That, right. That's like the most absurd thing I've ever heard. Did you ever get a, a reason for it off anybody? Um, you know, I wasn't at the meeting. That's the thing. And I remember talking to Dan Malloy, and he just said, you know, guys started asking like the, the most random questions, like how come he didn't go to the QS event in right. France? And just like, what, what, what's the relevant, you know, if, because most of the time, if you're not qualifying on the CT guys immediately go and try to back up sure. and to maybe try and qualify. And they thought that I just didn't care. Yeah. That was, that was their, you know, interpretation of looking me. for a reason. Well, right. he's not that bothered anyway. Yeah, he doesn't care about the yeah. tour. Oh, he's this, that, and the other. It's like I just finished third in the world. Yeah, I just won the Pipe Masters. You know, I was, I felt like better than ever. So you had unfinished business in your head. You, yeah, for you it was like you you would have carried on. I, you know, from ninety five was when I finished second. Um, ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight. Like I had a little bit of success, but I was. I was a, a little bit kind of up and down and you know, I had some funky results in there. And then it all kind of came full circle in 2000. And that's when I, I finished third and I thought, okay, which makes total sense, right? Like I don't see the, the guys on tour now who are really dialed in and coming into their own or in their late twenties or early thirties. Sure. That's like when you see the, the mental side, the physical side, everything starts to really kind of fall into place. And so I was, 
I felt like as good as I'd ever felt. I thought I was, you know, really kind of fell into a really good place. And uh, I was going to, I was ready to hopefully, you know, potentially win a world title. That was the goal. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to do it. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. So then all of a sudden to be kind of just removed from it. Yeah. I I had a few years there of, you know, at at the same time, Gotcha went bankrupt. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a major sponsor. Um, I just had my first uh, child and life was just like totally flipped upside down. Yeah. For me. Yeah, yeah. I was here here adjusting and resetting like, what am I going to do now? Yeah. Right. So how how did you process it? Because obviously, again, the story is, well, you know, you kind of went off and decided to become a free surfer yeah. and did a film with Taylor. And, you know, that's kind of, again, covered in the film. But right, they, presumably that wasn't quite as straightforward emotionally. Yeah. And they they definitely kind of skipped that little... There, there's a space there between 2000 and, you know, when I started making The Drifter was in 2007. Yeah. And, the, you know, that's a, that's a long period of time. Yeah, 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 sure. I, um, yeah. I remember getting off tour and I... I put all my thrusters in a shed. Um, Al, I talked to Al. He made me a single fin. Right. And then we started making uh, fishes. We made a, a twin fin. I didn't ride a proper thruster for like a good solid year and a half. Right. Um, I, I became good friends with Thomas Campbell. Um, started doing some trips with him and filming for some of his movie projects. And yeah. Just basically going in the like more polar opposite direction <laughs> of the tour. But then it was weird because I would still, I'd get these wild cards into events. Like yeah. I'd get wild cards into the lowers event. And, um, you know, I surfed, I won the US Open in 2006 or 2005, 2006, somewhere sure. there. I won it in 2001, I think, too, yeah. as well. And so it's like I was still having these success, successful moments yeah. along the way, but I was, my head wasn't really there like i didn't want to go back and compete full-time but i still had the ability to like just jump in every once in a while <laughs> yeah so you could scratch that competitive itch yeah. yeah yeah it was still there it's hard to just like <clears throat> take it away yeah exactly and that's the, the question i've got really was was the new direction as satisfying as the highs of the competitive years because you know if you've gone from this as you're obviously saying feeling like you've kind of had this this path taken away from you that that can't be easy so did did it satisfy you in the same way or did you have to learn to enjoy it in a different way yeah i definitely had to learn to enjoy it but it it goes back to the to the sole reason you started surfing yeah like before you were a competitor before you learned how to be competitive right it's like just the pure enjoyment and the act of riding waves and like that became you know, going back and riding single fins and riding twin fins, it was like this whole new challenge and this whole new feeling because I didn't grow up riding those boards. And Al used to laugh at me. I'd say, Al, make me a single fin. He'd go, oh, Robert, you know, we we did that, you know, in yeah. the 70s. Why do you want to do that? Yeah, yeah, like Al was Al was very progressive. Yeah. He wanted to make the most high-performance boards. And, sure. And for me to ask him for a single fin, he was yeah. just like, come on. He's like, what? Kid, yeah. You're crazy. Right. And But there was a big part of me that just wanted, you know, watching old footage of, you know, buttons and Larry Bertelman and those guys riding these single fins and ripping. Yeah. Like, I was like, that's crazy. Sure. I want to I want to feel what those guys felt. I want to know what what it was what it was like to ride a board like that, to ride a twin fin and, and learn 
you know what the attributes are to riding those those boards to get back the the, the yeah. love perhaps that had, had, yeah and had just faded a little just yeah. reconnect with surfing and just yeah. the pure feeling of surfing and not trying to be the most high performance rad shred guy out in the water all the time yeah yeah right yeah right so is that how it's remained with with your surfing now yeah so there was a transition time like you said like i you know started riding those those funky boards and and going in that in that direction but there was still that a little bit of competitiveness sprinkled in there and sure and just gradually over time i just beca- i kind of came to realize that i just didn't need that competitiveness at all yeah anymore really yeah was that a relief yeah it was. Is that it was another, a total relief. Is that another part of age? Do you get because you do get to that point in life, don't you? I think we're a similar age where you, it, yeah. it is a bit like, yeah. oh god, thank god I don't have to be worried about that anymore. <laughs> you know, thank god I don't have to like pretend. Yeah. You know, like you were saying yeah. earlier, like, oh well, I've got to go out Himalayas because if I don't, yeah. these days you you wouldn't do it, would you? <laughs> just wouldn't go because you'd be like, yeah, whatever. I'm a, you guys, I'm a grown fun. man. I can do what I want. Uh, yeah, I don't care. Yeah, and it's funny because I just. I mean, this is funny that I'm going to tell you this, but I just surfed in the trials for the they had for the uh, the Surf Ranch Pro. Sure, Hurley had a little trials for I think I heard about that, four yeah. athletes, and it was myself and Jake Marshall and uh, Baron Mamiya and Hiroto Ohara. Right, and uh, you know these kids are all half my age. Sure, and just frothing to the highest levels, and yeah. just and I looked at them, and uh, I was just like, wow. Like this is really happening. Yeah. I gotta go out and like try right. harder than I've ever you know tried probably in the last five years. Yeah, to try and keep up with these guys. And how was that? It was, oh man, it was it was very challenging. Yeah, you know, because you know with the, with the surf ranch you eliminate obviously the um, the ocean factor. It's yeah. like every wave that comes has the potential to be a ten point ride. So it's like it's it all depends on what you do with it. Yeah. And that that doesn't happen in the ocean. No, uh, ever. How do you feel about that? So obviously, it's the great debate of the modern surf. <laughs> it's it's so strange to really wrap your head around. And I think a lot of the surfers, you saw the um, the stress, the anxiety, um, and how it played out. It was pretty interesting. Yeah, how people handle it. Yeah, well, it's new ground, isn't it? Well, let's like. Like a scenario in the ocean right now, you know, the uh, the Quick Pro in France. Uh, okay, it's like you have heats that come down to the wire and, and a guy needs an, an eight and here comes a wave and and the guy gets, a, you know, an eight. Or, But that wave maybe only had the potential to be a seven and he turned it into an eight. Yeah. Or the wave had the potential to be a nine and he surfed it really safe and yeah. barely got an eight. Sure. Um, the scenario in the pool is that you need an eight, but here comes a 10. Yeah. So that aspect of it really kind of messes with your head. It's like every wave is a 10. Yeah. And it's all depends on how you ride it. Yeah. So that it's, you don't get those scenarios very often in surfing. Do you see it? Do you think it's a positive thing? I don't mean generally. I mean, in this context that you're talking about, you know, generally is too big a a topic, isn't it? But in terms of, that element of for that mental side of it i think it's really cool <laughs> yeah i think it i think it challenges the athletes to uh you know push themselves to a whole new place where they they don't normally go to yeah and uh learn how to deal with that sort of anxiety and that stress i mean when you're sitting in the pool they make this announcement 
that, that the guy says in 30 seconds. Right. And it's like immediately, even when you're free surfing in that pool, yeah, your heart starts racing. I imagine it's pretty stressful. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of cameras as well. Yeah. And you're standing there <laughs> and here comes, you. then, you know, about 20 seconds later, then you start to hear the wheels start turning. Yeah. 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 You got starts an, winding up. You and, got a nice uh, like vocal indicator as well. Yeah. And it's like, here comes your 10 point ride. What, yeah. are, you, what are you going to do with it? How good are you? Yeah. yeah. Right. So that like looking at it from like a mental side of it, it's, it has, you have to go to a whole different place. Yeah. Than, yeah. Than being be, in the ocean. It's going to be fascinating, isn't it? Cause yeah. it's going to, it's definitely going to basically see it it evolve in a different way in a particular way you know it's almost like there's going to be this offshoot now isn't there that people are going to have to handle differently i mean we saw it in the in the stab event that was in the in at waco yeah same thing happened like i turned it on i heard you know before the event guys were just flying around doing huge errors and then all of a sudden as soon as it as soon as that noise starts yeah they they said okay it counts now yeah like here's your wave you get two waves and do do those same errors that you were just doing in practice and yeah. guys were just having a hard time yeah I, I, it's fascinating when, isn't it when i turned it on i watched probably 20 waves i saw like one or two errors landed yeah are you so. are you glad you were this isn't your heyday <laughs> competitively <laughs> to be a to be to be dealing with this oh, i know it's 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 challenging uh, but it's good you know everything evolves right nothing stays yeah. the same yeah yeah so i'm sure these guys they're up for the challenge. Yeah. I, I see. I mean, that's that's what surfing is, right? It's like every day you go down to the beach, the waves are different. You know, we see at the at the French, at the contest right now, especially, yeah. right? With the tides and the swell and the wind. And it's like, it's ever evolving. And it's like, you have to be prepared for everything. I had a tough time that when I was competing. Like, I if, if the waves are bad and my mentally it was like, a day that I normally wouldn't be that excited to surf. Sure. But I had to surf a heat. Yeah. Like then I was already in this like almost half negative state of mind where I was like, shit, the waves aren't very good. Right. It's like, well, guess what? They're, everyone's got to surf. Yeah. The same shit. Everyone's got to deal with this. So I just had to get myself over that. But I would, I would immediately, if I saw the waves and I didn't like what I saw. Yeah. Then you're already kind of like setting yourself back. Sure. It's a bad place to start from already. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. But it's like, you know, a howling onshore day in Japan and you're sitting out at sea just surfing these wind chops. It's like we all have the same, you know, capabilities and we're all dealing with the same crap out here. It's like you just got to realize that we're all in the same boat. Yeah, right? yeah. One of the questions that, you know, obviously when I told people I was going to be speaking to you, I got a lot, a lot of people wanted to ask ask questions. The most common one was actually, "What's getting you stoked right now?" Stoked right now? Yeah, on surfing. Yeah, um, watching my four year old stand up on a little seven foot foamy. Ah, nice. And, and ride waves, yeah, right in front of my house. Brilliant. Like, so it has nothing to do with me riding a wave. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's uh, this summer was really cool. We had really warm water and. It was kind of a breakthrough summer for him. Right. You know, he, he's been bodyboarding a lot and and then I got him on a little foamy and yeah. And uh just to be able to you know, push him into a little wave and and watch him just go straight but stand up on a surfboard and ride and Amazing. and be stoked like Yeah, yeah. That's like a uh, pretty cool feeling. Yeah, we can see it through his eyes, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. And so I've, it's it's been cool to kind of like pull myself back to that level. Yeah. And think back and you know being in the ocean is is intense. Yeah. And it's there's a lot of like sensory overload, you know, for a four year old. You know, it's it's very it's a very powerful place. Yeah. And you 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 tend to overlook that as you get older. You kind of look beyond that. Yeah, right? you take it for granted. Well, for me, you it's a very th- it's a very peaceful place. Sure. Now. Yeah. Right. I find like solitude and peacefulness in the in the ocean. Where for him, it's uh it's a little bit daunting. It's yeah. scary and it's yeah, intense yeah. and um there's a lot going on. Yeah. So it's like trying to uh, teach him how to discover the blissful side of it yeah. and to find that the comfort. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I think we've got to wrap it. You've got a busy day by the looks <laughs> of it. But man, that was great. Sweet. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, thank you for having me. So there you go. That was my chat with Rob. Pretty fun, surreal morning, all in all, especially for my right-hand man, Owen Tozer, who took the pictures as usual. Owen is a little grommet, was properly sold on the whole momentum thing and hence had a hard time not fanboying out while shooting Rob. Um, such a shame we didn't get longer with him, really. I've got a feeling we could have chatted for another hour or so, but in these press junket type scenarios when there's a line of journalists outside you've got to take what you can get really and I'd already ignored the PR when she passed me a note saying wrap it up after half an hour in the end I think we got the goods and I'm glad Rob enjoyed it um okay housekeeping corner this week I thought I'd chat about the newsletter I put out that accompanies every episode so every week I send you an email with five things I thought were worth sharing from the action sports world articles film clips things that will contextualize the episodes, the occasional offer from friends of mine, bonus episodes that you can't get through the website. There's no spam. There's no advertising. It's a way of getting a little deeper into the themes I discuss with my guests each episode. You can sign up on my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com, but be warned, I didn't bother with any of that newsletter bollocks early in the year that everybody was harping on about. Um, I just thought, well, you know, who cares really? I'm not going to add to that tide of yibble. So I just ignored it. Um, But I did add a secondary sign up to keep out the old spam bots. And this thing turned out to be extremely effective, so much so that at the last count, a whopping 3,000 people have signed up for my newsletter and then not bothered to confirm their subscription. That is because what happens is you click the link, you sign up, you get sent an email, you have to click that link and then you're in. And what's happening is people are signing up and then just not clicking the second link, probably because it's going into their spam, to be honest. So if you are going to sign up, be aware that you'll get sent an email with a link you need to click to confirm that you are actually real. And if you signed up and wonder why you're not getting any of these wondrous emails I harp on about every now and again, well, there's your answer. 3,000 of you. I mean, that's a pretty sizable number. So check that spam filter, click the link and await a nice weekly oversight into the world of action sports from yours truly. So that's it for this week. I'll be back with my next episode, which is with none other than legendary snowboarder Todd Richards. Now I caught up with Todd in Hossegore the other week, and I'm happy to report that he is also outrageously good company. We had a fantastically entertaining and gossipy chat about the the state of snowboarding, excuse me, that Olympic boycott from Terrier, the reality of the mid-90s pipe rivalry, how you cope with being an action sports senior citizen and much more. Don't miss that one. It really is funny. Um, yeah, charming character. I had a right laugh with Todd. And uh, yeah, again, the hype is real. 
So uh, subscribe via my website so you make sure you don't miss that one. Right, until the next time, have a good one and I'll see you later. Nice one.